Are you a victim crippled by the minotaur in the labyrinth of your mind? Or will you fight your biggest challenges like Theseus and fulfill your potential? My name is Zulfakar and welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. My guest today is Mike Lucchese, who is a school teacher and also building a health and fitness business on the side, as well as a crypto and specifically Bitcoin enthusiast. Mike, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Zofakar. Brilliant. Glad um, to be here. Appreciate that. And as always with these episodes, can you just start off by giving a quick brief overview of basically how you started and, and, and where you're at in life right now? Um, so I would say that I, I've always been curious about how things work. When I was younger, I was interested in dinosaurs and science, um, all that, all that stuff. I, I never was interested in school itself, um, in, in the work that we had to do and the main yeah. four subjects. But as I got older, I started to get different work experience in college. I started to, um, work with kids on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. in a in an internship and that that was pretty eye-opening for me because uh it, it really gives you a, a good perspective on how different people's life experience could be yeah and then from there that that uh made me aware of how how much i loved learning in general and then that's how i started to work in schools from there as i had a million different other cash jobs but that's how i really started to understand that i loved education i loved learning um I became a paraprofessional, which is where you work one-on-one with a student mm-hmm. in school and you help individualize their, uh, their mm-hmm. education to their learning needs. And then okay. from there, that's when I became um, a teacher after that. So I, I kind of had a great experience from like the ground up in, in education. So I, I, I kind of got to experience it from a full spectrum from student then to um, working in service industries, then as a paraprofessional in a school, and then a teacher. Um, and then I, I, I really enjoy being on this end of the, the classroom compared to the student end. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I really got to where I am today. But throughout that experience of becoming a teacher, I was also on my own um, health journey. I, um, I was always into sports when I was younger, but in my late teens and early twenties, I lost control of my diet. Um, wasn't focused on recovery, just poor habits, poor sleeping habits. And it eventually got out of hand and I, I got pretty overweight and un- unhealthy. And, um, throughout the time of me teaching and trying to learn how to become a teacher, I also ended up losing 80 pounds and, um, got into pretty good shape with finding different disciplines I enjoyed um, and, and kind of really started to make sense of my, of my life and get my shit together to a, to a degree. Um, and now I'm at a point where I want to try to pay that forward a little bit and help people out in ways that I know that I could have been helped out and, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, help people on similar journeys or start their own journey. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, um, you, you're still a teacher at the moment. Um, yes. before yeah. we go into the teacher, so like, wh- what age group are you teaching a specific subject, a specific age group, or you know what what, what are you teaching exactly? 
So when I started, I was working with freshmen in high school. So that that's anywhere from a kid could be 13 to 14 years old. And then now I've been working with more um, juniors and seniors. So 17 to 18 year, uh, years old. I, I've worked with fifth graders in the past and middle schoolers. So from 10 to 14. Um, mm-hmm. that, that age is fun too. I, I like that age, but uh, more recently, high school age kids. And is it a specific subject or? English, mainly. English. Okay. I, I, used, I used to work in the other four main subjects, but now mainly um, literacy and um, uh, a specific class that I loved the most was language and composition, where you would analyze writing and try to figure out what made an author's message uh, the most convincing or what made it effective. Mm-hmm. That, that's always fun. Brilliant. And um, obviously, you, you, you love teaching. Now, a lot of people have got mixed uh, views about teaching um, and teachers specifically because it's, it's a very, very tough job. It's, um, it's a very difficult job. And obviously, there's so much going on, and especially with, with the students. You just don't know what you're going to get in, in the day and age that we live today. Uh, how, how are you finding it? Like, um, you know, how challenging is it? How do you deal with it? And, and what's your overall opinion? In, uh, it, it's a good question because in, in all honesty, I feel like sometimes I've had strong opinions on this. And then when I try to check myself, I realize that I, I only work in one school. I'm not seeing other teachers' experience in other schools. But if I had to generalize my experience, I would say that if if you're if you hate the job, you're doing it wrong. Um, I, I feel like if, if you realize that you're there to help spark some curiosity in a kid or just get them interested in learning themselves so that they can then in turn learn about the things that they're interested in, mm-hmm. I feel like then that that really gets you to want to do it every day, or at least that makes it more interesting. So um, I, I do think that education is, you know, in like this inflection point with technology and how technology could change education. Um, and then you have like the old system structure that it's still fighting to work within. So we're at this weird point and I think education is going to change a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how about the discipline side? Obviously there's a, a general feeling out there that, you know, kids these days, they're, they're not as disciplined and they've got an attitude problem. I mean, I suppose it depends on, on, on which area you live and what the upbringing has been, but how, how do you find the discipline side with, with these children? I would agree that discipline is definitely different than when you and I went to school. And, and I, I guarantee you, you and I might have been similar in class. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't get in trouble. I didn't look to rock the boat. I didn't look to bring attention to me because I didn't want to get in trouble at home. You'll, you'll still see some kids like that. But I would say more kids than not are comfortable with challenging authority. Right. And then, and then if you think about that and you zoom out on our society in general, Mm-hmm. more people today are okay with challenging authority. So, so, so I'm, I'm seeing that in the classroom, but then it's not shocking me because I'm seeing that in society itself. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I would agree, but I would say it's not unnatural. I would say it's, it's a part of some kind of bigger movement going on. Okay. And, and do you have trouble then disciplining them or do they listen to you? Do you have authority? Because um, yeah. like, I remember our high school and, um, you know, uh, if the teachers were able to handle the discipline, there'd not be a peep from anybody in, in the class. But if there was a teacher where you knew you could get away with it, and <laughs> it'd be an absolute nightmare. For them. I mean, even though I was like you, I was a quiet swap kind of geek type. 
but other ch- uh, other classmates weren't the same. And uh, I remember, you know, one teacher, you were so you so struggled with the authority side. You used to literally take him out of a, an hour class. You used to take him literally fifteen minutes just to do the class register <laughs> because of the amount of noise and and whatnot. So. Um, how, 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 so how, how do you find that? Like, uh, do you, have you had instances where discipline has been an issue and you've had to lay down the law or do you take it easy? What's your approach to it? A hundred percent. Um, especially when I was a newer teacher, I used, I used to get steamrolled by, by older kids, by 17, 18 year old, uh, mm-hmm. year olds. They would see that I'm the new teacher. They could just, they could smell it on you when you walk into the room <laughs> I'm sure it's similar to public speaking where, or stand-up comedy where if you're a new comic and they could mm-hmm. just sense that nervousness on you. Um, so I, I would, I would get hard, uh, hard classes or, or kids would give me a hard time at the beginning of my career for sure. But I, I then had to look at other teachers that I wanted to model myself after. And there are certain things that I had to do because I knew that th- times are different. Like I can't just rely on me calling home and hoping that the parent will discipline their kid or try to instill some kind of level of respect or awareness that you should have for the classroom. Mm-hmm. So I knew that that would be great if, if the parent would do that, but you can't rely on that anymore. So I was trying to take like a, uh, a martial arts approach or a jujitsu approach <laughs> and think, okay, I, if I have to only rely on myself and what I can control, I have to try to win over every single class that I have. And it's not going to be with fluff or um trying to make you think that i'm something that i'm not i'm just going to try to be my complete authentic self and i'm going to force you to respect me to a degree um because i'm going to be real with you and the only difference that you'll see is that i just won't curse as much in the classroom so there were certain things that i had to do to manage a classroom for sure like at the beginning of a period i was standing outside of my door and you had to walk past me and, and either make eye contact or see me say good morning to you before you entered my room. So you knew exactly whose room you were entering. Um, <laughs> and you knew like, you know, where your seat was. So you could be doing anything that you wanted. But as soon as you were entering the room, the kids just, they, they just understood, okay, it's your room. And then you wait for everyone to get in. And then newer teachers would sometimes get excited and they try to control too much. Yes. But something that I learned was silence speaks a little bit louder. And uh, especially when, when you have like this stern look on your face. Um, so, so to make a long story short or, or a long answer short, if I, if I was able to be authentic with them and I won the kids over and I forced them to respect me, I didn't have nearly as many behavioral issues as the teachers who didn't respect or don't respect the students, because a lot of those teachers that don't have the respect of the students, they're the ones that are relying on the old system ways of disciplining kids where you mm-hmm. didn't have to show respect and you didn't have to respect the kid. And, and most teachers didn't because they just looked at you as the student or the younger one. So oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's parallels with that, with, with how I discipline my children as well. So you know, sometimes the the raised voices don't work, but the silent treatment with the intense gaze <laughs> does <laughs> does wonders. Um, so obviously, the the theme of this podcast is is you know the 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 story of Theseus and the Minotaur, and um, that being symbolic. So you know, the Minotaur is symbolic of our internal fears, desire, 
internal fears, doubts, insecurities, and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then the external minotaur is the hardships and challenges that we face in life. And, you know, the maze, obviously, there's the internal maze in our mind, and there's the maze of life. Mm. Um, so in that process of being a teacher, what would you say is the biggest minotaur, both internally and externally, that you had to face and deal with? Wow. Um, good question. <laughs> internally, I, I would say the fear of needing to be liked. Mm. And, and, um, and, and also not, not taking things personally, whether it was about how I looked or how I sounded, what I said. Yeah. The, the fear of not being liked was uh, a, a big one, especially by like your customers. I don't know. Sometimes I would view my students as like my customers or the people that I'm trying to sell a product or a service to, or, you know, a way of thinking. So yeah, that, that was a big one for me to let go of and just rely on my work to, to speak for itself and, and mm-hmm. like, like I'm sure you've experienced and like, like you've shared with me um, that that's a big part of about becoming yourself and about figuring out who you are. Right. Absolutely. Like uh, yeah. letting go of that external validation and that need. So yeah, that... I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because I suppose in a way it's um, the education system hasn't been adequate in uh, in helping us develop the uh, the relevant self esteem and and the confidence and even the communication skills, which is what I'm you know doing uh, these days in, in trying to help people increase those. And simply because like that was me, so you know I was the the top student, the A student kind of guy, the teacher's pet you could even call it. Um, but you know if they had to rely on somebody, they did rely on me to get the work done and be getting all the grades. And um, and you wouldn't think somebody like me would have confidence issues or self-esteem issues right. because you're constantly being told you're smart or you know you've, you've got so much potential and you know you're going to do big things and this and that and the other um but that's actually counterproductive and um i think i don't know if you've read the book mindset by dr carol dweck no um, um recommend that book but she basically mentions that what this does is in fact puts people in what she calls a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset um, fixed mindset being, you know, when you're constantly told you're smart and you're talented and you're this and that and the other, you start believing that label and then you're so afraid to try things in case you fail and you don't live up to that label. Mm. So because I'm constantly so, being... So now what do you what what do you think you might have benefited from in that moment? Do you think you might have benefited from a teacher that recognized that you were good at what you were doing and that you were mm. capable of getting high grades? but maybe trying to pick out what you were maybe nervous about doing? Good question. And, and I'm not sure because um, the other thing is, you know, this is the impact uh, of, of teachers specifically that, you know, people don't realize is throughout that whole period from, from obviously primary school all the way to, uh, you know, high school, college even, uh, and not so much university, but same, but throughout that period of high school, so the first 16 years of my life, I'm constantly being told I'm smart, I'm talented, I'm getting A grades, B's, B's and whatnot. And on one occasion in uh, year nine, so year nine, I'm probably about 13, 14, I think, um, the geography teacher, you know, every time I do homework, I get comments, excellent work, good work. But this teacher, this geography teacher, she used to not put those words in. She used, sometimes she did, but um, a lot of time it it'd be basically a question uh, or mm. a comment. And um, so I thought, because of that style, 
uh, at the time I thought she didn't think I was smart or I'm, I'm too dumb that's why I'm getting these questions to think more or but I realized later on that was her style of her trying to get me to think more and, and improve but because I didn't get the validation because I didn't get the well done and excellent I thought she doesn't like me or um, I'm not good at geography and that's what I assumed I'm not good at geography so by the end of year nine you have to pick your electives so you have to pick which subjects you're going to carry on with and because I thought I wasn't good at geography and because I thought she didn't like me and she thought I wasn't that smart <laughs> I, I didn't uh, pick geography but what I came to realize is when she asked me what have you picked and I told her a list of all the things that I picked and when she realized I didn't pick geography she just groaned like she was so disappointed oh she was hoping that you did, yeah. She was hoping that I did joke because obviously she thought I was talented in, in yeah. joking, but, Um I didn't realize that um, because of her teaching style. And then following on from that, um, when we did GCSE, so that was the main thing when you leave high school, you leave with GCSEs um, and, and science. Obviously, there was physics, there was biology, and there was chemistry. Um, and once... We had a parents' evening. Thankfully, my sister went rather than my parents. But this biology teacher, she just completely grilled the heck out of me <laughs> to my sister. She's like, sometimes the homework is brilliant. Sometimes it's not so good. This and that and the other. And in that thing, she said, I don't think he should do the higher paper because I don't think he's going to get a C. I want him to do the lower paper. And um, that was so damaging to my self-esteem wow. and confidence. And I basically had to get my parents to write me a letter to say, I want to do the higher paper. Um, I did the higher paper and I got two Bs eventually. Um, but the damage was done from that day forward. I assumed I'm not good at science and not just biology, just all of science. <laughs> I hate science. I'm not good at science. I'm too thick. And then when it came to pick my career, uh, I don't know if I told you the story of why I chose law, but uh, when I came to pick that career, one the only reason I made that decision in the first place was because we've grown up in this system of you need to become a professional, you need to get mm -hmm. a degree, and you need to do this and that and the other. So when I was making that choice of what profession, professional do I want to be, most of those careers were taken out of the equation because they involved studying science at A level, the wow. next level up. But because I thought I'm rubbish at science, I'm thick, I did not want to do science in any of those subjects. So that took out doctor pharmacist dentist whatever required science all of those professions were out of the equation so i was sat down with my sister again i'm like i don't know what i want to be and she's saying doctor dentist i'm saying no no that involves science that involves science and then she said lawyer i'm like ah, okay <laughs> that doesn't involve science that is a professional <laughs> i'll do law and that's how i did law but the point that i'm trying to make there is because of the lack of self-esteem and because of the constant feedback and validation in terms of doing good the one or two knockbacks that i got made me assume that i was completely inadequate in these things um and, and right. changed the complete tra trajectory of my life basically <laughs> so yeah it's um, it's it's interesting how how it could change and influence the trajectory of your life because me at that young age you're thinking okay i i'm making sense of myself with a's right i i want excellence everyone wants to be excellent mm -hmm. so when you get a's that's how you make sense of yourself i'm the guy that gets a's and then yeah. if someone's not allowing you to maybe take that high standard test or yeah that could really mess with yeah. how you make sense of yourself yeah and you know especially then when you're 
you know, seven, well, first you've got to pick what A-levels you want to do, what subjects you want to do in, in college. And, um, you know, you, you don't know about life at that age. <laughs> what no. do you know? Um, and, and then, you know, it just follows on one thing after the other. But that's, I suppose that's the problem with the education system as a whole. It just gives you this path and there's no coming out of it. You you just stay on it. And, uh, and this is another reason uh, as to why I and so many people that have done well in the education system and then the employment system struggle with business and entrepreneurship. And for me, it does come down to those three things, self-esteem, confidence, and communication, and what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset. So a fixed mindset is mm. you're stuck in your ways and you're not willing to try well with a growth mindset. You don't mind failing. You don't mind trying and you don't mind losing because you've seen it as an opportunity for growth. Whereas with the fixed mindset is if you lose, you internalize it and you label yourself as a failure, as a loser, as not smart. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, how, I don't know how you would change that in, in, in primary school. I, I, I don't, like I don't know. I, I think about that a lot. I, I, I worked with a lot of people and we've had this same conversation in our break room on, mm-hmm. on our lunch break. And, and we, we come to the same conclusion. We sometimes wonder, you know, will education change and will it be more beneficial to people as technology forces it to change over time? Or will there be parallel education systems built side by side the, the old systems and outcompete them over time? Mm -hmm. And, and like you and I are saying and experiencing and now making sense of as we get older and as we start our own families, I, I do think that when our kids become school age or maybe high school age or college age, we're going to influence them and inform them in different ways. Absolutely. I, I, really I, agree. I, suppose, I suppose this answers the question in a way. Uh, and uh, the answer to that question, well, what am I currently doing with my children? And um, I know it's a discussion we're going to move on to because it involves what you do as well. And one thing that I am, actively encouraging is extracurricular activity mm. outside of school the first thing is learning martial arts so mm. um he's, he's five years old at the moment and uh, he didn't enjoy it at the start he's okay with it now so the first thing is martial arts and then the second thing is is football so soccer for you guys so football nice. we call it here and what i'm seeing already is you know he he wants to win uh, and if he doesn't win, he he calls it cheating or, or whatever happens. So, <laughs> what I'm trying to instill with it, instilled within him now is, it's not about the winning. It's about making sure you do your best that you absolutely can. And if yes. you lose, it doesn't matter as long as you grow. So, um, you know, for example, literally last week he he was sparring with uh, another child who was significantly bigger than him. And he couldn't, no, there was no chance to beat him. And, um, you know, he's like, oh, he cheated. No, he didn't cheat. And he sort of said to him, he didn't cheat. He's just bigger than you. So what you've got to do is figure out either how to get stronger or how to get smarter and, and deal with it a different way. And, and what I'm trying to drill into him is these are the questions you need to ask yourself. How do I get better? How do I improve? It doesn't yes. matter about losing as long as you do your best. And I suppose that's it. These children... And we were not put in many losing positions. So we didn't learn grit. We didn't learn how to come back from a loss. We didn't learn how to get knocked back. Because if we did get knocked back, as I did with the science, it was, that's it. That's the end of that. Um, and um, I'm going to change point. the trajectory. So I suppose in that sense, 
there needs to be more done on on that so martial arts you know absolutely i think you can talk to me more about that because that's what you do i say because <laughs> the the feedback is immediate and and the feedback is is physical if you think about it mm-hmm. like even when we get that bad grade on our test chances are we didn't get that test back for a few days or a week mm-hmm. right so so we don't really remember the questions on the test then mm-hmm. by the time the teacher is willing to meet with us to talk about the test it's already over a week long and then the feedback isn't as effective but in martial arts um i, I don't know what kind of martial arts your son is doing but I've done a striking martial art mm-hmm. for five, over five years. And then now I've done jujitsu for about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And um, jujitsu in particular, it's a grappling art. My face is getting smushed into the mat by <laughs> a guy that's 80 pounds heavier than me. And it really does force you to question everything that you're doing and how you got there, what mistakes you made, how you can now <laughs> get out of there based on what you know and what you're capable of doing. So you mm-hmm. go through... I guess a full spectrum cycle of failure and making sense of that failure and how to then build off of that every single time you're sparring or rolling. So I think martial arts as an extracurricular for kids is one of the best. Yeah, Brilliant. And I suppose that comes down to reaction time. You don't have that much time to really think, you know, because if you're spend, spending too much time thinking, you're going to get hit. you're going to get hit um, right you know or or you're going to be forced to submit you have to make fast decisions you have to basically respond and react pretty quickly rather than get paralyzed with thinking and i suppose that comes back to what you just said about the wait time you know um in, in in the education system you know you're over paralyzed with thinking and that moves on in into the employment world and then when you do start a business Again, one of the biggest things that we struggle with, especially professionals who struggle with uh, business on entrepreneurship the most, is analysis paralysis. Too mm. busy thinking, I need to do this, I need to do that, or how should I do this, or how should I do that? And all of that thinking just isn't good, whereas what you really need to do is just do something. Just and do see something, how it right? Goes. Yeah, if yes. it goes wrong, learn from it and then try something else. But we're not wired that way. We're not condition that way um why, why do you think that is do you, do you think that's a survival mechanism I, I i sometimes try to make sense of that and, um, and i don't know if it's i don't know if it's because we have the same hardware from hundreds which, of thousands which, of years ago which aspect of which aspect why we're so afraid to just do something and i think that's more to do with uh the, the modern day education system um we, we're just not encouraged to do it and do you think maybe we we our species or people in general might have taken more of those risks maybe before we systematized education in this way? I think so because you know well it depends on how far back you you go. Obviously in in, in caveman days you know you went out hunting as a child. Hey, that's a big you, risk. Yeah, you learned how to do it as a as a child. You know, um, and and you know you you went to hunt for food and then you. Uh, obviously cooked it yourself you, you you had to get your own water you had to create your own living space and you lived in tribes basically i suppose that's another right. big thing as well is you know we don't have that tribal community anymore in in this day and age even families today are split never mind communities um, but i suppose with with the current education system it's you know we spoke about this last time is you know you get told what to do you get told how to do it you get feedback and um, if the feedback is always positive, you get hooked on that validation and, and needing mm. somebody to encourage you. 
Um, and I think, you know, the analogy that we used last time is it's like having crutches. So in school yes. and employment, you're on crutches. But then when you start a business, it's like somebody just takes those crutches away and, you know, you can't balance. You don't know what to do. You don't know which direction to go. Um, and again, it comes back to this idea of you need to do something extra in, in you know, in terms of extracurricular activities because the schooling system just doesn't give you, I don't know if it's changed now, but it just doesn't give you enough of that opportunity for you to figure shit out by yourself. It doesn't. Oh. And, um, and even in the opportunities that they're trying to create that are like that, they're usually after school hours and they're clubs and they're usually not done as well as an extracurricular, like your son may be involved in mm-hmm. like soccer, like a soccer team or like martial arts. And, and I think the as I always think about this too, because martial arts is definitely an individual, um, activity, which I, I think, I could have benefited from more as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I only played competitive soccer growing up from five to 18 years old um, and, and only team sports besides that. I, I would have definitely benefited from playing uh, you know, like, you know, an in, in individual discipline or being involved in that because I think they're similar and different yes. in the same degree. So now your son gets to learn what it's like to be a role within a team. Yes. Right. Just like you're talking about, like you get to figure out, okay, He's not understanding that this is symbolic of a tribe, but as he gets older, he's going to understand the different potential roles that could be played within within a tribe or within a community, within a team. So I I think that's huge. I think about that more now than ever. Yeah. Having worked as a teacher and and potentially being a parent in the near future. But you bang on the money then. I'll tell you another thing um, just to further that point is, with the football, that's more popular. There's more kids around, um, and he, he enjoys that. He, he loved that from day one. With the martial arts, a lot of the time, it was just him in the class, and he mm. struggled with being the center of attention and, and, and being the focus of the teacher. And it just, I suppose, being it's alone. A, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. So um, in terms of development, I think that's great because with the team, he can learn with the team, but now he's learning also how to deal with it as uh an individual when you know maybe in the team you can possibly um hide well a hundred percent and i <laughs> i did that when i was younger too yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that's a great point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um you know so talking on that point I mean, there's another point that i wanted to make is you know we were also part of the self-esteem generation the school was one thing but just the general the general society in itself, you know, with the the programming of don't talk to strangers and, you know, don't uh, go out at night or do this and or don't do that, etc. And, you know, as of this day right now, I still have a vivid image in my head of when we were in nursery and class reception where they, you know, they used to bring in those old, um, I don't know if you remember it, but they used to bring this massive kind of like carton on, you know, there'd be that box TV with the video. With the, and with the straps on top. <laughs> Part, part of the uh, the TV and you know they, they showed the video and I, I remember this time they were showing this video where a girl was just walking by uh, walking past and then you know there was a, a car or a van that just drove up and stopped and then there was a, a hand come out from the window with a bag of sweets the girl grabs it and then they grab the girl and, and run off and I'm thinking now that I'm looking back at that the amount of fear these guys instilled although the message was good obviously don't talk to strangers and you know obviously right. bad things happen but the fact of the matter is the fear that installed in us that they installed in us with that messaging 
is what caused so many of us to be afraid. You know, we were afraid of pretty much our own shadows, you know, because um, at the end of the day, you've got to remember, yes, there are bad people out there, but the majority of people out there are not bad. They're not out I to agree. get you. They're not out to rob you or this and that and you there. However, when you grow up with that program, like every, every, every stranger is, is bad, so stay away from strangers. The fact of the matter is 99.999% of the people we're going to meet are going to be strangers because we don't know who they are. <laughs> you're talking about 6, 7, 8 billion people on this planet are going to be strangers to us because we don't know who they are. Now, if you're programming us to believe strangers are bad and dangerous, we're going to feel, and which is what we did, that all of these 7, 8 billion people on the planet are bad and dangerous, which is just not yes. the case. Um, so yeah, it was the societal conditioning as well as the, the educational conditioning. And I think that's, what needs to change um, a lot. And, and do you, and I, I really do feel like us as individuals, as we're deprogramming ourselves and making sense of what, what we want and don't want, I think that that's how it happens. Or at least I hope that's how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I think you, you know, you've got to go through this process of self-reflection. Um, and, and, you know, this is what I encourage everyone to do now, even, with this new business that I'm, I'm working with you on and I've, I released a video not too uh, long ago. And, you know, I said the first step that you need to do is undo the conditioning and programming right. of your past, because, you know, you went through one programming system, which was the education system. And then these days you've got another programming system, which is the online entrepreneurs where quit your job. College is a scam. It's just the same thing, but programming in a different way. Um, do you, gotta, do you feel like you're making more sense of the way that you might have been programmed by society now having a son and now having a kid? Uh, absolutely. I mean, yes and no, because I think um, this process that I've been going through now, it's been about, I suppose it's been about the same time since I got married and then um, had, 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 had children. Um, but I just got sick and tired of always being scared you know um mm. but, you know I, I realized a long time ago uh that i had a, this issue of, of you know this fear of speaking and you know, it's funny you know we mentioned why i chose law but then when you chose choose law you then get to make a choice of whether you want to become an attorney or an advocate um which in the uk is a solicitor or a barrister and i chose to be a solicitor i chose to be an attorney because an advocate a barrister his role is more standing up in court and talking. So I right. didn't want to talk. So I chose the, the one where I could be the office um, paperwork guy. And more and more opportunities like this happen. So later on, so I suppose the way I look at it now is, you know, these were all opportunities for me to overcome one of my biggest minotaurs, my fear of speaking. I ran mm. away that time. And then a few years later, I came across this network marketing opportunity where it required a lot of presentation and going out to meet people. Another opportunity for me to deal with this minotaur, this fear of speaking. Again, I ran away. And these opportunities will keep on coming and coming and coming until mm -hmm. eventually you know, you turn around and say, I'm not going to run away anymore. I need to deal with this minotaur. How can I do it? Um, and I think um, that's when I started making videos online. But I suppose the point is, if you don't have this period of self-reflection and if you don't do the unconditioning and, and do programming, you're just going to carry on with the same behaviors, the same routine and the same everything, and you're just not going to make any progress. Um, so the education system, obviously you're still in it. I don't know how much more work needs to be done. Judging by <laughs> society, I think a lot more work lot, needs to be done. A lot. Um, Unfortunately, a lot, yeah. <laughs> but 
if you can't do it at that stage, then the onus then is on you as an ind- individual to go through that process. And, you know, um, it's a process that I'm still on. It's, it's going to take years and years. Obviously, the, the more ingrained you are in that system, the harder it's going to be for you to come out of it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a process that it's going to take years. Yeah, generations even. And I suppose, you know, you've probably gone through the same thing by starting martial arts. How, how are you with self-esteem and confidence? I was that guy on a team, like you said, that liked having my role. And, and I, I would play an important role at times, but mm-hmm. I would also, in moments that I wanted to shy away, I would I would know how to shy away and maybe fall into a role that wasn't at the center of attention or the spotlight. So even us just talking about that right now, that solidifies that even more. Um, I think the individual aspect of martial arts is really what helped me build my own confidence and um, believe in myself that if I just work on something consistently, I can become really good, especially in a physical expression. Um, I never viewed myself as creative or artistic in any way. So that in particular, being able to express myself physically, not with a ball or in a team, um, only playing one role was one of the cooler things I've, I've ever experienced. And now as I grow more mature with my martial arts practice, I'm then able to apply that to everyday life. And so I would say my self-esteem has definitely um, improved without even realizing it over, over the years from martial arts because of that individual mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. immediate feedback aspect of Brilliant. it. Brilliant. And this is going to bring us up nicely to the next part, you know, because without self-esteem, without confidence and without communication skills, you can't make tough decisions. And um, you had to make a tough decision not too long ago. Um, I suppose it's another minor hardship that you had to face in life. Um, and you had to quit a job that you loved. Uh, do you just want to explain the backstory to that? So the backstory to that was um, in in New York City, the mayor in the late summer, I think it was late summer of 2020, uh, 2021, mm-hmm. put forward the vaccine mandate for uh, COVID-19. Um, I was on my honeymoon when that information came out. So I tried not to attach to it. I tried not to think it was going to be true. I, I honestly thought that the city of New York and the union would fight back and at least delay the the start of that mandate. But um, I quickly found out that it was going to be enforced within the first month or two of the start of the school year. So just got married on our honeymoon in Hawaii. We find out that that uh, was being put into effect and I had to look pretty deep and ask myself what I wanted to do. Um, there's, I think, 150,000 employees in the New York City Department of Education. Mm-hmm. And I think I ended up, after all the protesting, after all the fighting back and all the press and everything, I think I was one of like 2,000 or one of like 1,500 out of the 150,000 that ended up not complying with the vaccine mandate. Um, That was probably the most difficult decision I've ever had to make in my life. Um, And I think it was only that difficult because everyone around me was looking at me like I was crazy. (laughs) Yes. 
So it's kind of like it, it felt right in my heart to make that decision. And my gut was telling me that was the right thing to do. Um, and I, I did all the math on paper. I tried to really forecast how bad things can get. So I, 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 I understood it myself, but what was really throwing me off were all the eyes around me looking at me like I was crazy. But then I had to just reflect on other things I've overcome in my past um, and, and other things that I've proven to myself that didn't jive with the majority. And I guess that goes back to the self-esteem. My, I, I think my self-esteem and my belief in myself was high enough and my conviction in myself and what I was doing was high enough in that moment to be able to execute on that. So, so uh, yeah. if your self-esteem wasn't high, would you have made that decision or would you have? I don't think so. So I suppose, you know, this is interesting because, you know, they say we live in a self-esteem crisis at the moment. Um, I suppose why did so many people then go ahead with what they were told to do not because they did the research, not because they followed the science, but because they were given orders and they didn't have the self-esteem and the confidence um, and uh, the courage to say no. I'm just right. going along <laughs> with what. And, and even um, I, it, it was interesting because the, the rhetoric is strong in those moments, right? From both sides. And people are asking you why you're doing what you're doing and, um, if, if you get emotional during those moments, you're not, you're not going to make a good decision. And it sounds crazy, but I, I think the only way that I was able to not get emotional in that moment was because um, of my experience in the, the Bitcoin bear market of 2018 <laughs> and 2019, because I, I've seen myself down so much money and yeah. such a great percentage that I was almost numb to the idea of going without a consistent paycheck. I'm like, okay, so I've seen, I've seen the number go down pretty dramatically. So I understand that that stuff is just digits, digits on screen. And, and I know how to make money in other ways. So, um, I think most people's fear was rooted in not having the comfortability of their, uh, of their consistent paycheck. And then I started realizing like, okay, everyone's in a different circumstance. If you like, you know, I had to ask myself, you know, if I was a, a father of three right now with a 30-year mortgage and I had to say, okay, within within a month, I have to figure out how to make equivalent money because I was over leveraged, right? Mm -hmm. Like to a degree, like where I'm not, I don't have enough cash to, so I, if I was in a different circumstance, I might've not been able to make the decision that I was making too. So mm -hmm. um, I think- it made me realize how used to comfortability everyone is too. Yes. And how people view comfortability as the end goal. And, and if you choose to get uncomfortable, people look at you as if you're like lowering your standard or lowering yourself. And meanwhile, I'm saying, I don't know, I'm just choosing to be humble as hell right now so that I could have a better long-term I feel like I'm I'm doing the 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 same reason I got involved in Bitcoin was because I lowered my time preference on return. So I'm doing the same thing in real life. I'm lowering my time preference on return to have a greater long-term uh return on life instead of the short instead of the need for the short-term comfortability. Yes. I'll I'll go through the short-term winter. I'll go through the short-term <laughs> bumpy road. Why not? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
before we move on, so out out of interest, then what was behind your decision making pro, um, process there? Like, why did you choose not to comply um, and and not take the uh, the vax? So um, it really came down to me realizing that the only thing that I think that I actually own in this world is my body and my mind. And if I, I felt like if I give up my bodily autonomy, then that, that's it. I, I gave it up. And I don't, I'm not saying that that's for everyone and that's not everyone's mm-hmm. choice. But for me personally, I, I put a ton of work into getting my body very healthy, into getting my mind very healthy. And I'll be fucking damned if I <laughs> allow a politician who has some kind of agenda of his own to just then forced me to put that at risk, at least in that moment when I thought like, you know, anyone should be thinking, who knows what's, what's going on with this. We, no one knew enough in that moment. So mm-hmm. yeah, it really came down to bodily autonomy. And, uh, this is my one meat vehicle for this, for this go around. I'm, right. I'm gonna, even, even if you're going to criticize me, like, you know, eating cake or like, you know, you're going to criticize the other things I put into my body. Mm-hmm. I made the choice to put that into my body. Mm-hmm. brilliant and uh, so how are you feeling about that decision now obviously you've got a, a, a new job and um, you you're doing something on the side as well um, you've recently started a podcast so how in hindsight how has that decision panned out for you the decision I think it was one of the better decisions that I've ever made because um it put me in an uncomfortable spot that I don't think I would have been able to put myself in voluntarily. So I don't know if I would have felt compelled to really go after creating the podcast, even though I wanted to for two or three years. I don't know if I would have felt compelled to become a yoga instructor, to become a health coach, and then to really go after my desire of creating my own online business. So I'm more than grateful to have gotten uncomfortable um, to now be in a spot where I, I feel like I have a creative venture to express myself and to help other people. Excellent. Excellent. And so you, you're doing the teaching and you've got the podcast and you're doing some coaching. How are you finding time management? Like what's your, um, I suppose, what's your routine here? What's the, I suppose that like maybe explain what you're doing with the coaching side as well first. Um, and then how you're fitting it all together. So the, the coaching side, um, I'm still, still in the process of getting started with that, but ideally I'll end up having one-on-one clients and then, um, group, uh, group classes. And then yoga, I started teaching, which, which has been a ton of fun. And I've been doing online zoom classes. Um, So, So the coaching is different from the yoga. So the yoga certification is separate of the health coaching certification. Those, those, I got those at the same time. Um, but yeah, so, so ideally I'll be running, um, group classes, group exercise classes, um, and one-on-one health coaching. And I'm also with the yoga certification, I'm doing in-person classes at the studio and also, um, zoom classes, which has been a ton of fun too. Brilliant. And again, so back to the time management question. Oh yeah. So, so, so back to the time management. So, um, I, I, I almost 
think that when I have more put on my plate, it forces me to think mm-hmm. how efficient I can be. And then I notice mm-hmm. that sometimes when I don't have a lot on my plate, my I get lazy inherently. So I don't know. It's weird. I'm, I'm still trying to make sense of that too. But then I get anxious if I have too much on my plate. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm realizing that that's, that's one of those things that I'm trying to make sense of. But recently I would say I've gotten uh, pretty good at, um, I don't, I don't eat breakfast. I, I get up pretty quickly. Um, I could sleep a little bit more. I've been averaging like, you know, five and a half to six hours of sleep, but, um, I sleep pretty well. I get up, I make a coffee. I like to work out first thing in the morning. Um, if I can't, I'll try to meditate for five minutes, but, um, managing the editing in the podcast is something that I'm trying to get better at. Like we talked about ourselves, but besides that, the time management, it's kind of like when the pressure's on and when the heat's on, I, I end up getting a little bit better. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I advised you, like, don't, don't worry about the editing. You're still s- starting the podcast journey. And even now, I still do very minimal editing for uh, the podcast. Like, I'll just maybe clip the start and the end and just add an intro and outro. It's um, it's definitely, I'm realizing it's definitely an ego thing, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or it was somebody else in the group, but um, I tested out the... Uh, editing with with the youtube videos that i was making so i was cutting out uh, the ums and ahs that i'm doing right now and it was just like talking chop talking chop talking chop and then because it was taking so much time i i reverted back to just talking and uh, right. i made a video about it and the feedback i got was these videos without the editing are better because they feel more natural and they just feel like it's more authentic um, and I suppose that's one of the beauties of podcasts as well. People are not looking for top class furnished shows. They're looking for real life people talking about real life issues, which they can right. relate to. So this is why I said, don't worry about the um, editing for now. That can come later on um, when you you know you've really got into the habit and you've got momentum, uh, and and then you can take it on on another level. When you're first starting out, it's just get it done and move forward, improve, move forward, um, and then worry about the the final. It's like that 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 quick feedback. You want that quick feedback yeah, and that quick yeah. turnover. And also, it can sl- slow you down. Obviously, uh, you you started off like a train, which is great. Um, but a lot of people, if they have to go through this process of recording the podcast, editing it, especially with uh, the ums and ahs, they'll give up after two or three weeks and i speak mm. from experience because when yeah. i edit youtube videos i thought started off with a lot of passion and energy and enthusiasm and then a few weeks later i can't be asked uh, speaking of which you know within june now i recorded videos back in december january which need editing <laughs> editing them uh, which is why i started with the new style of just talking and seeing how it goes um but yeah because that, um, that, that time management's big it's massive, massive, especially, you know, if you're running a, a small business or a solopreneur kind of business, but it's just a one man, one woman business. So with this recent program that you're on, that's a, a more solopreneur, one man thing. Same with the YouTube and all of that. Um, and then the separate business I've got with, with David, obviously there's two of us, but that's still in the early stages. So it's going to be a while before we make the hires. Um, so yeah, time management at this stage is it's crucial and then especially you know you've got a family as well you've got a wife you've got kids um i don't know if you've got any kids yet um no no kids yet no kids yet 
uh, but still even with with the wife yeah um, you know they want to spend time with, with you as well but i think um you're okay a little bit in that sense because your wife is helping you with what you're doing and um we, we talked before uh, you've got the hat right there and, and that hat is um a gift given to you from her uh, yes. for the podcast you've started so you know that kind of support is amazing because a lot of people that start this journey of entrepreneurship will not get that kind of support and it's an uphill battle because everyone's telling them go back get a job carry on with your career and uh, the idea of starting your own thing doing something different um gets a lot of I suppose heads, it gets a lot of heads to turn. Yeah, a lot of resistance. And because it, it's similar to what we were talking about before, where it's it's a risk that not many people would take themselves. Mm-hmm. So when they see you taking a risk that they wouldn't take themselves, mm-hmm. a lot of people then can't become aware enough to realize, oh wow, I'm proje- I'm projecting my yes. fears and my inability to assess my own res- uh, risk onto someone else and then i'm going to make them feel guilty for taking a risk that i wouldn't myself even though i'm not realizing that i'm not them so it's a it's a big um it's it's a it's a big thing to make sense of but you're you're hitting on it because what you're doing is forcing you to make sense of yourself as you're putting yourself out there and you're learning more about other people and that in turn helps you it's just a full positive feedback loop it comes back to this idea of of self esteem because if you haven't got self if you've got low self esteem which I had at the start, any kind of resistance, any kind of negative feedback or lack of support, it it, it gets to you, it breaks you down almost, and then you think, um, what's the point? Should I carry on? So like you know, I've started and stopped so many times, and what I've come to realize is you know that whole process. It wasn't about the business. It wasn't about the entrepreneurship. It was about the self improvement journey mm. and the self improvement process. So. All of that was there slowly, slowly building up my self-esteem, building up my confidence, building up my communication skills. Um, and uh, especially with the videos, <laughs> obviously, you've got a fear of speaking. It's really it's a fear of criticism, a fear of rejection. Um, you're afraid of what people think or how they might react. The only way to get over it is just by constantly doing it. So now I'm at a stage where I'll just put out something deliberately if I'm feeling resistance that this is going to bring criticism I'm putting it out deliberately just so that I get over this own internal issue and and that's how I've been would you I, I guess I guess that would be considered exposure therapy right you're you're mm-hmm. putting yourself out there no matter what good or bad you and and what's making you put yourself out there is you being aware of that uncomfortability mm-hmm. so next time you feel that uncomfortability you'll feel it less intensely and then because you feel it less intensely, you'll be able to yeah, you go about it. And... Up your own self-esteem. And as your self-esteem right. grows, the, the less you care about the reaction, the less you care about what people think. Um, and, you know, you just get stronger and stronger from that. But having said that, you know, um, self-esteem and confidence, this isn't something that you just achieve once and you're sorted for the rest of your life. It's something that you've got to continuously maintain over and over again so um i don't know if i mentioned this to you before but uh, back towards the end of 2020 um i did 75 hard and um so i'm at the gym for 75 days and i carried on until 90 days until they closed the gym because of lockdown (laughs) now by the end of that 90 days i was a transformed person like literally i was a completely different person my self-esteem was 
rocket high. My confidence was high. I was walking around with a different aura, with an attitude. And I would say it was the first time I could truly say I felt like a man, <laughs> you know. Wow. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is it. I've done it. Literally. So, so now what, what would you attribute that to? Was it just the consistency of doing it every day or the combination of everything? It was the combination of everything. So obviously with 75 hard, you know, you're doing so many different things. But I suppose it's just the idea of going to the gym every day, building muscle, building strength, building something that I thought I would never have. So obviously I think most people struggle with losing weight. I had the opposite problem. I had the problem of putting on weight. So I was six foot tall and a nine, nine and a half stone. Now I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's, it's really, really skinny. So, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm weak and obviously I've already got so low self, low self-esteem. Um, so, you know, my kind of, um, self, uh, judgment is I'm just a weak person, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and I tried going to the gym. I did go to the gym regularly when I was in my teens. I did uh, go on diet programs and, and try to bulk up, but nothing worked. And I suppose I got probably got to a point where I'm thinking I'm never going to put on any kind of muscle whatsoever. Um, but then I did this 75 hard thing and obviously it was difficult, but when you get to day 40, 50, like I'm doing the thing, a similar thing now where I'm, I think I'm at day 48. I was going to say with going to the gym, right? Yeah, just consistently. going to the gym now. Yeah, right. going to the gym consistently. Um, but it wasn't just the physical aspects. It was more it was the mental discipline, the mental toughness. So many days where I thought I can't be asked, I can't be bothered, where previously I, I wouldn't have done it because of that feeling. Whereas with programs like this, is I'm feeling that still, but I'm still going to go ahead and, and do it. So that in and of itself will build self-esteem like crazy because – you're going to do something no matter how you feel, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on in life. You said you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Uh, whereas what most of us do on a normal day-to-day basis is, oh, yeah, I want to start that business. Oh, yeah, I want to go to the gym. Oh, yeah, I want to do that. Mm. And then when it comes to do it, you don't do it. In other words, you're breaking these promises that you make to yourself. And when that becomes a habit, that is significantly going to impact your self-esteem because you're basically confirming to yourself that you are not a reliable person. You are not a trustworthy person. You 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 say you're going to do something, but you don't do it. Um, and you, you break your own word. Exactly. So you're going to feel you're going to feel that you're a loser because what kind of a person says they're going to do something and doesn't do it on a consistent basis? Um, so yeah, that the consistency, the actually internal transformation, like obviously. My diet got better, so I was feeling great inside. The confidence skyrocketed, the self-esteem skyrocketed. But then also there were spiritual experiences attached to it. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, I can't remember if it was day. It was in the 60s. And, um, you know, my body's tired. My bones are tired. I feel like I'm going to drop out. I'm feeling weak. This is in in the gym. And then I, I can't remember why I just got angry at something. And, and the more angry I got, the more intensity came. And all of a sudden I'm lifting heavier, heavier than I've lifted before. I'm lifting faster and stronger. And all of a sudden I'm feeling like a beast. And it was probably the closest thing I felt to an alchemical transformation in that one moment. Um, and then I was just kind of like buzzing, for example, like I was just seeing the same people, but it was more like seeing from waves. a different lens. I was seeing like waves. Yes. I was seeing like waves and like all of this is just connected. I suppose it's to describe it as an example. It was like, as if I was seeing the quantum field 
and I'm just seeing energy and I'm just a part of that energy and I was just sucking in all of the energy. Um, and because it was almost like in that moment that you were coming out of yourself, like your yeah. energy was so strong that you were able to then be open well, to everyone else. Somewhere, because one minute I'm feeling weak, next minute I've just I felt like raiding, you know, from uh, yeah, I'll come back. Like, you know, that's real, just I think that's real, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's um, that's what that's what the meatheads would call the pump. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the first time I'm experiencing it in my life because I've spent my life being so weak. Um, and yeah, so I don't know that whole process, it just did something, it changed something. Um, and then going back to what I was saying about maintaining self-esteem after that period, I thought I've made it, I've done it three months down the line, six months down the line, I've stopped training, I've stopped eating, uh, and I'm feeling like absolute crap again, like Mm -hmm. rock bottom, the self-esteem's gone, the confidence has gone. Um, and it just became a struggle to get back on the routine. And, and and this is why I come back to the idea that just because you've done it once and you've developed self-esteem and confidence doesn't mean you're going to have it all the time. You have to constantly do things to maintain it. And this is why stuff like martial arts is great because you're constantly training, you're constantly yes. getting knocked down and you're constantly coming back. So that um, that's what I was going to say. A few people I've been asking, my friends, family, and a few people on my podcast, mm-hmm. I've been asking them the difference between momentum and discipline and in any facet of your life when you've had success if you've become aware of when you're riding momentum and the momentum wave and when you're not riding that momentum wave and when there's no momentum and you're looking for that momentum to get started but then you have to rely on discipline and um, I I don't know if you've experienced that or if you differentiate the two like that or if you see it differently but I'm making sense of that more now than than ever. And hundred percent, you know, you've, you've you've hit the money right on the head. So you know, a lot of people say the hardest part is starting. I disagree with that. I I I I get it. I understand what they're saying, but you know, once you get initial over that initial hurdle, starting is the easiest part because it's just starting, and you've got the uh, motivation, you've got the enthusiasm, you've got the um, you know the momentum that you talk about. So the first few days. It's all good because you've got all of that enthusiasm. It's when that momentum dies down, when that motivation dies down, when that inspiration dies down, and now you've got to carry on. That's when it's hard. That's when you get stuck. And not just with training and and, and physical exercise, same with business. Anything. When you start a business, you're all excited and you're going to do anything. It's new. It's new. When that dies down and now you're relying on your habits, your discipline, (laughs) that's when it's difficult. Um, and as, this goes in line with what you're saying, difference between momentum and discipline, but they go hand in hand as well because it's the discipline that's going to maintain the momentum. Mm, uh, the yes. momentum is what will bring the discipline. So I suppose they're not two separate things. They can be linked if you link them. And I suppose this is what's good about these programs that I go on where I'm going every single day um, because it's, Building Eventually, discipline. you'll you'll catch moment you'll catch momentum. Yeah, yeah. there's momentum, and it's 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 a a cycle. It's an ebb and flow because even now I'm day forty, whatever it is. Some days I'll I'll feel like I've got momentum. I'm great. There's no way I'm not gonna go, and I'll ride it out. And then a few days later, I'm like, I can't be asked with this. I can't <laughs> be asked, and it's it's the um, the momentum's gone, but the discipline remains. But because the discipline remains, then that momentum is gonna come back again, um, right. and, and, and so on. So um 
the momentum it's, is, it's like it's like the discipline is the straight line and the momentum is yes 100% exactly it makes sense <laughs> yeah and um yeah uh you just got to find those habits carry on with it and i i think i think that that's where most people get caught up i think most people get caught up thinking that when they feel that momentum that you're always supposed to feel that or that success is always supposed to feel like that wave at your back, like propelling you forward. Meanwhile, meanwhile, even if I'm thinking about my jujitsu career for the last three and a half years, there are plenty of times that I don't want to enter the gym. There are plenty of days where I'm not in the mood to get smashed. Um, <laughs> but but I think I then end up feeling that wave of momentum and and seeing more success in like you know a three or four week spurt after that. Because I did grind those two months before that, you know, going in times that I didn't and getting in reps when I really didn't want to. But yeah, so I, I think that's that's where most people get caught up. 100%. And you know, I'm glad you made that point because it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the education system where you're constantly getting uh, feedback, you're constantly getting praise. So that's constantly giving you the momentum that you're talking about. Um, and you never experience this period of getting told what to do, doing it and not getting feedback. Mm. You never build that grit, that determination of doing something for a prolonged period of time without feedback, without validation, without uh, somebody telling you, uh, you know, what, what to do and what not to do. Um, and this is the struggle with these kinds of things when you're doing it for yourself, whether it's business or, or training, Obviously, you can hire coaches and, and stuff like that, which is fine. But if you're not hiring those kinds of people, you've got to rely on yourself. And if you've never been used to doing something without constant feedback and validation, it's just so damn difficult to do. Terrifying. <laughs> and uh, I know time's running on a little bit. This conversation has been fantastic. Oh, my God, we've gone past an hour. I didn't realize we've gone past an hour. Let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin before we finish up. So cool. you're a massive uh, fan of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. Obviously, we're going down a, another bear market, I suppose, another crash. Um, and there's panic on the streets now. So let's start with the, the, the fundamental question. How did you get started in crypto and Bitcoin? And why are you such a proponent of it? Good question. Um I started investing in 2015 in the stock market before Trump became president. And as I, I felt confident that he was going to, to win the presidency, I, I knew that that was a good sign to invest even more. So that that's really where I started to just learn about investing. Mm -hmm. But eventually in the spring of 2017, one of my good friends introduced me to what Bitcoin was. And I remember I didn't even know how to say it. I, I just kept, I kept saying it in two parts. I kept saying Bitcoin. I didn't, I didn't even know how to say it, but, um, that's when it broke a thousand dollars. It just surpassed a thousand. And then for that summer, I was just learning more about it, trying to make sense of it. And as I learned more, um, that's when it started to run up to $5,000 in the fall, but it started to become aware to me that that was the solution to the problem that I was aware of for a long time that I, I didn't know how was, how it was going to be fixed, which is, um, that the federal reserve bank is a private entity 
and that they really do control the money and the monetary supply um, or, or just the, the monetary system that we're working in. So I knew that the dollar was depegged from gold in the 70s um, and, and not many people were aware that the dollar was not backed by anything. So when I started to learn about what Bitcoin was, when it was created and why it was created, then at that point, my question was, okay, how do I trust this random guy or this random group of people that created open source software um, that he thinks could become the global reserve currency? And then that's when the price started to run up to $20,000 in that last cycle. And I, I like everyone else, uh, FOMO'd in. I put more <laughs> money than what I was able to afford to lose. And then everything crashed for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it crashed for two years, that forced me to challenge my thesis because I had enough money in there where I lost enough to where I either was going to sell and take a big L on the chin or um, I was going to just uh, really understand why. And every day that went by, I put hours and hours into it. And um, my conviction in the thesis only gets stronger because the reasons are are becoming more true as, as to why. And, and I think the reason is that, um, like I was saying before, with my reason to choose my health and my bodily autonomy, because I think that that's the only property that I actually hold. Mm-hmm. Aside from my body and my mind, I think the only thing that I actually own is my Bitcoin. It sounds crazy, but even if I don't pay the, the taxes on my home, um, the, the government's going to come and, and take the home from me. So in mm-hmm. a world where the elites want people like us to own nothing and be happy. I want to own everything that I possibly can. (laughs) And I know that I'll be happy. Okay. So uh, interesting in, in, in these, so is it just Bitcoin or are you enthusiastic about other cryptos as well? Um, I I like, I like other crypto as well. Um, But I think, I think other crypto to me, I treat it more like venture capital. Mm -hmm. Like I think maybe out of 10 that I choose to invest in, I, I hope that maybe one or two will, you know, thousand X, but I think they're, they're much, they're much riskier to me. Brilliant. Uh, Cause a lot of people obviously pegged the two together. Um, so, you know, you still think Bitcoin is, is the future. You still think crypto is the future. Like uh, obviously with what's happening now again, Although we've been through this cycle so so many times, um, you know, how do you see this playing out? Like, what is, I suppose, what is your vision or dream that you want to see happen? Uh, and in in realistic terms, what do you think, as a prediction, will happen? Um, I I think much more is dependent upon the the Federal Reserve Bank right now and and what they choose to do with interest rates for the rest of the year. And not a lot of people like that, but that's just the, the system that we're in right now. And that's the circumstance that, that we're in. So I think the reason that Bitcoin is moving in the way that it is right now is because the people that bought it over the last two years were mostly institutional investors. And institutional investors treat and look at Bitcoin as a risk on asset, um, which makes sense. They, they treat, you know, tech stocks and, and other growth stocks like risk on assets. 
Um, so, so that's why I think it moves in tandem with the market now. But I think as time goes on and as people learn more about Bitcoin and they learn about the importance of holding your own private keys and your own property, um, I think the floor of Bitcoin will just continue to go up and it'll start to decouple from other investable assets. Um, and then you get like, you know, the, a spot ETF approved in the United States that'll allow institutions and um, bigger entities to comfortably get in without having to be the sole custodian of Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So like if a pension fund wanted to get exposure to Bitcoin, but didn't want to be responsible for holding onto the Bitcoin, which is the ultimate responsibility, um, they could get exposure for their clients through an, a spot ETF. So I think once stuff like that becomes available and mm -hmm. once Bitcoin becomes more regulated, um, I think it'll start to decouple from other assets and it'll be seen more as its own thing. I think the markets in general are going to be down for longer than what people want to believe. And I think Bitcoin will move with the market for a little bit. Um, but ultimately, I think by you know, 2023, 2024, the Federal Reserve is going to be put into a corner to where they have to decide, you know, do we want to have people lose faith in the dollar and lose our integrity and legitimacy in our role? Because the Federal Reserve's role is really to just control prices and not allow assets to explode or control inf inflation. So they're either going to have to curb inflation or turn the money printers back on eventually. And it's going to go one way or the other. I mean, I, it's going to be I, interesting. <laughs> definitely. But I start laughing there because, you know, you, you just said something. Once Bitcoin gets regulated. Now, isn't that the antithesis of crypto and Bitcoin? You know, didn't it come uh, into existence to avoid regulation and centralization? So isn't that an, an oxymoron kind of thing? Or, you know, how explain that to me when you say Bitcoin? Yeah, so um, I, I've had a few of my friends ask me about that, too. So. Bitcoin itself wouldn't be regulated. The blockchain mm -hmm. wouldn't be regulated. How Bitcoin works wouldn't be regulated. But um, how you can get exposure to Bitcoin will be regulated or how you can custody it or the rules around that stuff will get regulated. So, um, like, you know, family offices that, that you know, manage a billion dollars or two, they don't feel comfortable enough or tech savvy enough to be able to hold a ledger uh for their for their um customers mm -hmm. so they ultimately want someone like coinbase to custody the bitcoin but them get exposure in some way shape or form so regulation is good because it allows the people with most money and the boomers to get exposure um but the so it would be regulated on ramps and off ramps mm -hmm. instead of bitcoin being regulated itself um a true Bitcoiner, a true OG Bitcoiner would say, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And yeah. um, that if you want exposure through an ETF, yeah, you might be able to scalp some profits from time to time. But when push mm -hmm. comes to shove, if the government wants you to not have access to your Bitcoin um, or a company goes insolvent or something like that, mm -hmm. that's that's not the point of owning it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and the you know, the similarities to what we were talking about earlier. So 
Um, I know you're really, really passionate about, you know, Bitcoin and what it's going to do and the changes it's going to be bringing in. Um, I am of the opposite opinion. I I don't think it's going to live up to its promise. I don't think it's going to bring the changes that um, it supposedly was to bring. Um, And not because I don't believe in the technology, not because I don't believe in Bitcoin. It's just my belief and faith in human nature, having seen Mm. Um, the reaction of people, especially in the last two to three years. Um, Because one, I don't think people want the responsibility of having my keys and having my wallet. Um, They want somebody else to take that responsibility. They want a bank. They want a a centralized authority because if things go wrong (laughs) with Bitcoin and crypto, things do go wrong. They want somebody to come and sort it out. So that's the first reason. Um, The second reason is, you know, if push comes to shove and the governments or whatever the institutions say, we're not going to allow it or we're going to only allow it via these circumstances, people are not going to fight for it. You might have some people that fight for it. Right. Um, but the majority are just going to go ahead with whatever the government says. And I can confidently say that because of what I saw with... I, I can now too. So that was a hard lesson learned too. So so I I had... I could admit that I had more faith in people that people would fight back, right? And fight for what's right or fight for, you know, the betterment of, of, uh, of our like, you know, populace. But they're not willing to basically give up their comfort and security. Yes. For it. So, so, so in something like that case, say the United States is the first one to ban it mm-hmm. um, or the second one to ban it after China. Um. I think just like you saw with the flight of mining from China to other places, you'll see the flight of capital going to other places. So whether it's new innovation or just money in general, it'll, it'll end up going to the place where it's treated best. So I think that is a real possibility um, and, and it could happen, but I think that they've also game theoried that out and they're thinking like, okay, what, what happens if we do, you know, disallow citizens from being able to use it like Mm -hmm. we could but then who's going which of our oppositions because we are shutting off the borders to it who's now going to try to leverage the other position which is okay united states shut off access we we're we're their opposition we're now going to green light it so that that's it's pretty interesting i think about that a lot but i i agree with you that I don't think people would be in an uproar no. and uh, uh, fight too hard. I don't think they'll cancel it or ban it. I think they'll just put a, a massive marketing campaign against it. Against um, it. Like they did, obviously, with the past two, three years. Uh, and that marketing campaign is already happening. Um, you know, if it's not even the, the media or the government. If you just look at the general public perception to Bitcoin right now, they're all, haha, we told you so. This is a scam right. coin. This and that. They don't understand the first thing about it, but <laughs> they're, they're, they're happy right. and willing to call it this and that and the other. Um, but I don't think it would be banned. I think even the government believes in the technology, but for them, it's a way to bring them more control and more authority. Uh, Definitely. And, and I think, um, you know, I've said this so many times before, crypto has the capability to free humanity but crypto also has the capability to enslave humanity even more. Um, I think, and I think that's what they're looking to do with the CBDCs. So that's, that's their goal. And um, I, I didn't think that it would happen this fast, especially (laughs) when Jerome Powell, did you see, I don't know if you saw him make 
the statement that he did the other day about um, the role of the dollar internationally is changing at a fast rate. And now the Fed is looking into um, creating a white paper on their CBDC. Mm-hmm. So I think that the United States and other nations do see the benefit of uh, crypto for them yes. in controlling the people. And I don't think enough people understand the difference between a crypto like that and Bitcoin, which which does empower the person. It's all the which, same. Um, it's all the same yeah. And yeah, no. So uh, you know, I suppose this is a whole entire episode in and of itself, and you you, you kind of move into the conspiracy theory <laughs> realms. Um, but just the way everything's happening in sync, like uh, so. Where do, where do you see it going? If I you see, see like the, I see if you see the, the people not fighting. Yeah, I see the people not fighting. I see more crashes like this happening. I see ninety nine percent of the current cryptos going to shit. They're going to go to zero, um, and uh, the only ones that are going to survive. I say, I, I, I believe. Bitcoin will survive and Ethereum will survive and, and maybe a few others, but the majority of them are going to go to shit and come to nothing. I have but a feeling then, that's going to happen too. Yeah, the, the real game is going to start when the central bank digital currencies are going to be the main thing. So we're going to still be dealing with crypto in 10 years, every single, maybe 10 years, maybe sooner or whatever, but there will come a time in the future where every single human being will be dealing with cryptocurrencies, just not the one of personal autonomy and the one that's going to give us freedom, but one that's yes. connected, that's connected to everything. So, and, and the one that they can throttle if you're not, that, you know, a good, not, a good, a good. We're going to turn it off. We're going to. There'll probably be one chip kind of thing, whether it's on your device or whatever. And, and on that chip, your crypto is going to be on there. Your ID is going to be on there. Your work history is going to be on there. Your health records are going to. Everything's going to be on there, um, and then. You either comply and you obey, because if you don't, or your wallet gets shut off. It's not just your wallet; it's your entire life gets shut off. You can't go anywhere. You can't buy anything. You can't do anything. Um, and uh, uh, that's when you know things are going to be difficult. So, so. I, I and I think that that's that. I think that's a real reality that not many people are grasping. Are grasping and they don't realize how 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 slippery to, the slope is. Yeah, they're not willing to grasp it. They they don't realize. Yeah, they they don't realize how slippery slippery the slope is. Um, and, and and with with the way that inflation is now, I I see it in friends and family and and just people around me. You hear it in conversations. I, I heard it in the in the drugstore the other day. Someone checking out. The prompter on the self checkout asks you to donate you know, to round up your, your purchase to the nearest dollar to donate to whatever fund. And the guy lost his mind. He got pissed off. He like punched the machine. He's like, absolutely not. He's like, everything in here is already way too high. He's like, I'm not donating anything. So you're starting to see society and the average day person beginning to rumble and boil up and they don't know why yet. And they're going to be forced to try to work harder, spend more hours to make more money or be pushed morally to start doing things that they wouldn't normally have in the past, or hopefully teaming up with people to network and open up new opportunities. But the average person who's not aware of this um, is, is going to have a hard time. And, and that's, that, that is one of my biggest fears. No, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't say just the average person. I think everyone, (laughs) even if you are aware of it, even if you are making plans to do something about it, um, everyone is going to have a hard time with uh, what's coming if 
they bring in what's planned by them. And, you know, I suppose, you know, we're seeing them and Elite and this and that, people are going to probably switch off from the conversation. Now. So, you know, <laughs> on side, but it's not conspiracy because it's, we're not talking about anything that's not freely available. It's in plain been, sight. Which, which has been said by them. Like, you know, people talk about the Great Reset, not our words, their <laughs> words. You know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Not our words, their <laughs> words. Bringing in a cryptocurrency that's government-backed, not our words, their words. So they're literally putting it out in plain sight. Um, so how you can call it a conspiracy theory, I I don't know. You're just not interested in that. You're just not interested in learning the truth. And I suppose this goes back to the problems that everybody's having on the planet right now. Everybody's just so bogged down with shit. They've got their own problems to worry about. They're struggling to survive. Yes. Uh, they're struggling to make ends meet. They don't have the time to look. They don't have them. the time. And, and they're not bothered because um, that's not their immediate danger. Everybody looks at their immediate danger. So the immediate danger is sorting your current shit out. I don't give a shit what Joe Blow's doing <laughs> in, in Davos or whatever else, because right now I'm trying to survive myself. Yes. Um, and I suppose, you know, some would say that's part of the plan, create so much chaos, create so much problems, create so much trouble, crash the system. Yes, we made a mistake. Uh, they might even not say we made a mistake. They say, well, the system crashed. We need to build a new system to make it better. This is that new system. And because of the hardship people are going to go through, from the crash, they're going to welcome this new system with open arms. They're, going back yes. to some level of comfort and security and ease. It's so interesting. So, so I think the only way out is the only way out, and the only way that we rise from the ashes is is by empowering the individual and and by. But does the individual want to be empowered? That's the question. I, I hope. Yeah, I hope. You hope. I had I had some. I had someone rec- I had someone recently tell me that they truly do believe that everyone, even all the un- un- unhealthy people that you see, he really did believe that everyone does want to be happy. Everyone does want to be healthy. Everyone does want to be empowered, but they might not be aware yeah. of it. Because if you think about it, like if, if you gave people the option, you know, do you want to be healthy at the snap of a finger? Or if you just took a pill, anyone, an, an idiot would say no, right? Like, and, and if they said no, they're, they're probably just, you know, fucking around. Uh, you know, just just to no, just to be. I would hundred percent agree with that. Everybody wants to be happy and healthy, but then the question comes: Is what makes you happy? If you've gone through this period of hardship and everything's fucked up, mm. and you, you know the whole thing's crashed, just having that comfort, security, and ease is happiness for you now. And if that and means it, giving up your yes. freedom and autonomy, so be it. Yes. Um, And and I I do agree. I do agree with you that more people than I wanted to believe will not want to be responsible for holding their own private keys. Mm -hmm. As I'm realizing more and more, it's going to be the people that either get burned are in third world countries are in, you know, more difficult circumstances are going to be the ones um, that will become aware of that. But I think uh, in, in most first world countries, we're too fat, dumb and happy physically yeah. or figuratively yeah yeah um, again <laughs> basically um I, i'm raised by the phone now i mean i wasn't raised by the phone but i am so embedded in the system where even as somebody who had a fear of speaking was one thing but i'm still an introvert so 
I will prefer to text people. I will prefer to do things online rather than speak to people. So um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. There's millions, probably billions of people like this now where the whole life is governed by the device. You know, I order food from the phone without speaking to people. So right. if you take away that, most of these people are going to lose their shit. So it's, it's going to be so easy to make people lose their shit. Turn the electricity off. First world countries will not survive if the electricity goes off for a week. You know? I was going to say, less than a week. Yeah. Less than a week. Now, third world countries, they're used to electricity going off, so they'll still survive. Um, but first world countries... We're, yeah, we're, we're much more yeah. fragile than what we want to realize. And then, you know, you take a look at the... Uh, uh, import and export industries. You take a look at what you know. Most of these supermarkets they're only stocked up for a few kind of <laughs> days. So, uh, as we saw again when the pandemic started, how quickly things ran out. You know, it, it wouldn't take a lot to create this kind of chaos. Um, it's just a matter of switching off the electricity. <laughs> when we switch off the electricity, this whole society breaks down, um, and then they come back and say, okay. Um, they can blame the electricity going off on whoever. On Russia, whatever. 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 It'll be blamed on them. Um, and then, okay, we can bring it back in now. But because of the dangers and because of it happening again, we've got to do it this way where you've got to sign onto this new system where you will own nothing. Uh, but yes. you'll be happy because you're going to get back your security. Do you, do you think? Do you think this? Do you think this process of, like, you know, people getting quote unquote wrecked or like, you know, people's lives getting destroyed and, and, you know, mm-hmm. some people making it, some people not making it. Do you think that's so much more natural than what we want to think? Like we're, we're alive in this moment right now. We want to think that this is the worst time ever, or that's the most difficult or the most malice. But like, do you, do you think that it's been like this before and that we're just experiencing our own version of it? I um one one thing that I I can't remember who said it, but you know the quote was something like, "If you believe it's true, then it is." So, if you believe this is the worst time ever, then it, then is. it is. But if you believe this one. is the best time, then it is. And uh, right, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I I do have a YouTube video back from December time which I haven't released, uh, which says you know this is actually the best time to still be alive despite of what's going on. Um, and this is, you know, targeted towards the first world countries because obviously, you know, there's some areas in the world that that's simply not true. But um, we are still living in a time. Just look at what we're doing right now. You know, you're right. sat in America, I'm sat in the UK, um, and we're having Insane. this conversation. <laughs> you know, um, and again, going back to that example I gave you earlier. Okay, I said it's it's a bad thing in that we've got lazy, but being able to order food from your phone. Like you know, kings and queens of that's old magic would have died to have that privilege. And I'm sat, yeah, I don't know if you've been watching my updates on, and I'm, I'm trying to grow on LinkedIn right now. And you know, I've got something like um, eighty thousand views over the last ninety days. Wow, um, nice! And you know, that's I'm still a small account, but the point that I'm trying to make there is, I'm sat at home, and I've reached eighty thousand people, like kings and queens of old. <laughs> would have died to have that kind of that's, that, that's a full that's a full stadium exactly so the, the majority of us today are living lives of comfort security and luxury which kings and queens of old would not have had and right you know, most of the stuff we take for granted even driving a car like can you imagine explaining a car to a king living 
a thousand years ago, they'd be like, they, they would, they would put you to death for being a sorcerer or <laughs> well, like a witch. You know, I, I don't believe this is the worst time to be alive. I still think it's the best time to be alive. Um, it's just that we've forgotten or we, we don't realize, we don't realize other people's hardships. And that's the thing. That's a good um, point. Suppose, the, the thing is, you know, if we were born in that era, we would have been harder and stronger. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we'd have been able to deal with it, but, um, technology has made life a breeze, which has then in turn caused this issue of laziness and procrastination and That's a good not point. having to face hardship. Um, but having said that, you know, I suppose it's going to come down to your own personal philosophy and um, what your understanding of, of how the world works and the, the conversation that we had when we talked about religion. Um, you know, at the end of the day, my religious beliefs are nothing happens without the permission of God. So what's happening right now, they can plot and they can plan all they want. At the end of the day, the only plan that's going to work out is God's plan. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to come back to what do you feel like the purpose of life is? Why are you in existence? What What are you doing on the planet? Um, and I think we explained, I explained this. Uh, we had that conversation on, on the podcast we did in yours where, you know, for me, there is no right acts or wrong acts. There's only soul purifying acts or soul destroying acts so everything that's happening is an opportunity for me to either destroy my soul or purify my soul so mm. regardless of what these people are doing or what other people are doing the only thing i'm responsible for is my intentions my actions uh how i better myself and now how i try to help other people as well um so it doesn't really matter what i love that what, what these guys are doing, you know, and, you know, it comes back to the idea of perspective. I've made a lot of videos on, on the end times right now. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have, and they're talking about this being the end times and the apocalypse and the coming of the antichrist and the coming of, 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 of the return of, of, of Jesus. Um, now, so we're thinking this is the end times, but if you're somebody who was, for example, living in, in Nagasaki or Hiroshima when the nuclear bomb dropped, who, who would argue with you if you said that, that, this is the right. time? You know, <laughs> if you were living in, in World War One where bombs are being, even places right now uh, around the world, bombs are being dropped on you. Um, who is going to argue with you if you say we're living in the end times right now? Here is proof because that is proof. Um, so I suppose it's going to come down to your perspective your understanding and, and whether you look at the micro or whether you just look at your own life, your own circumstances, your own perception, or whether you zoom out and you take a look at yes. history as a whole. Um, Cause since the to be able to, to be able to do that is hard to, to zoom out and yeah, zoom in and, hard, and manage hard. when to do that. That's like, the key I'm talking about it now. And you think I'm, I'm understanding it, but yeah, I still go through that crap man. this is it this is it we're, we're right what, making what, sense man. of it making sense of it by the day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Phew. so that's gone on for quite some time uh, i think we'll uh, wrap it up there i'm sure we can come back on this podcast uh, another time and, and pick things up um, nice, but man. i want to thank you for for your time for coming on and sharing your story and your experience um before thank we, you for having me you're most welcome uh, before we wrap up um tell people about your services, um, who you help, how you help them and how they can contact you. Um, so I, I help 
people get as healthy as they possibly could. I help people lose weight. I help people achieve their goals um, and uh, basically get their shit together in, in any way that I possibly can. And I, um, I'm good at individualizing plans for people. And that's what I love doing the most. Um, I, I also teach yoga and I lead uh, meditations too. Um, the, the best way to reach me would be to um, find me either on Twitter or Instagram. And both names are my first name, Michael, and last name, Lucchese. Fantastic. Um, and obviously, going with the theme of this show, you know, the minotaurs, people are suffering from internal minotaurs as well as external minotaurs. You've had your fair share of those. So for somebody who's struggling with their minotaur right now, what last words of advice or wisdom would you give them? And if you want to relate it to health, by all means, do so. But just take it away. Last piece of advice. Um, I would the, the I would say my greatest achievement, and I I, I kind of realized this recently. My greatest achievement, I think, has been my ability to get myself into the present moment. Um, it might not sound big, it might not sound crazy, but as I've gotten myself into the present moment, all of my other fears and anxieties and um, things that I thought that I was depressed about kind of went away over time and, and they start to fall into place. So even when it comes to trying to find direction, trying to find your why, figuring out who you are, what relationship you should be in, what you should do, what direction, what health goals, whatever it is, I would say um, if you can work on getting yourself in the moment, being present, not treating anything as a means to an end, uh, but falling in love with the process of everything, even if it's a conversation, getting to know someone and uncomfortability, work on that and everything else will fall into place. Fantastic. Love it. Yeah. It sounds simple, but it's important. Right. Uh, yeah. They will sort out a lot of problems for a lot of people. So once again, thank you for, for being here. As for the viewer, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on, on the podcast, again, hit the subscribe button. If you've got any comments or queries, drop them um, below. I will leave the contact details for Michael in, in, in the con um, comment section as well. And I will see you in the next episode. Take care now. Bye-bye. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot if you would please rate and write a review. Please also subscribe so you get notified anytime a new episode drops. Thank you for tuning in. Now go out and attack your Minotaur.